And uh, if you miss any of this, we just encourage you to go online to the website uh, or to iTunes and catch up on the first two weeks of the series, just a real short series, three three week series. Uh, we've been talking in this series, been talking about the, the great commandment. Uh, and we see the great commandment show up several times in Scripture, several different uh, conversations that Jesus has with a couple of people. So in week one of this, uh, Jesus, a uh, man comes to Jesus and asks Jesus a really important question. He says, hey, out of all of these laws and commands, which is the most important? And Jesus gives him an answer, which includes two parts. And in the answer that he gives him, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, and a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he gives him basically... Two commands uh, there, and, and, and that's what we call the great commandment. And then last week we looked at a story. Jesus uses a parable or a story to illustrate a point about how we should love our neighbor. Because Jesus is having another conversation with someone, and, and they're kind of talking through some things. And the guy asked Jesus a question. He said, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Or in other words, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus gives him the answer, and actually Jesus answers the guy's question with a question, and he says, well, what do you say? What does the law say? And, and the guy gives him the answer. He says, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells him, he says, you have answered correctly, now go and do it. And so to illustrate that point, to illustrate that action point of things, Jesus uses a parable, he uses a story, he uses the story uh, called the Good Samaritan. It's about a Samaritan who uh, gets robbed and beat up and left for dead on a road. And the story goes that there is a priest and a Levite. A Levite is kind of the, uh, the assistant to the priest. These two guys come along and they see the guy dead or half dead. He's not dead yet, laying on the side of the road. And they actually avoid him. They go to the other side of the street. They don't do anything about it. They don't help him. They just... Keep going. So they go to the other side to the street. And, and then there is a Samaritan who comes along. A Samaritan, this, this Jewish man who's been beaten up, this, this Jewish man is laying there. And a Samaritan comes along, sees the guy. And the Samaritan is the one who actually helps the guy out. Does everything that he can for him to, to help him out. And so what uh, we talked about last week is we said, we asked the question, well then, who then is, is it that I should be loving as my neighbor? Who is the, the other people? So love God, love people. Who are those people? And the answer that Jesus gives us through that parable is that the next person in front of us with a need is the other people. The very next person. Doesn't matter if we're anything like them, doesn't matter if they believe like us, doesn't matter if they're Republican, doesn't matter if they're Democrat, doesn't matter if they're Trump, if they're Hillary, if they're Green Party, or whatever a thousand other parties there are that you might vote for later in November. Like it doesn't matter any of that stuff. It doesn't matter if you if they like you. None of that matters. What matters is, is the next person in front of us with a need is the person that God says we should love the way that He calls us to love people. And so we basically said this, we, say, we said, see a need, meet a need, see a need, meet a need. And so my hope and prayer for us in this series has been that we would individually and as a church not cross the street on those that are in need, but instead that when we see a need, we would meet that need both individually and as a church body. And so today, today I want to look at this from the angle of what it looks like for a church to be a church 
for our neighbors. How does a church love its neighbors? And by neighbors, again, we don't necessarily mean the people that are right next door to us here, although that's included, but by neighbor, I mean those that are around us in our community, in our city, in our spheres of influence, that we have an opportunity to do something for, to love the way that Jesus says that we should love our neighbor. So, uh, with that in mind, if you have a Bible, open it up to Revelation chapter 2. We'll, uh, we'll uh, get into the scripture here in just a moment. But uh, as you turn there to Revelation chapter 2, it'll also be on the screen back here behind me, so you can follow yeah. along there. Let, let me ask you this question. You don't have to obviously answer it out loud. I just want you to, to think about it and, and in your mind sort of get a picture of this. But let me ask you this question. What is it that makes a great church? What is it that... What is it that makes a great church? Now, you may have a, a picture in your mind of what it is that makes a great church. You may have a picture in your mind of, of being a part of a great church. You may have a picture in your mind when I say what makes a great church. You may go, you may think about some of your past experiences that wasn't so great. And you might think, well, I can tell you what doesn't make a great church. It's that, or it's this, or it's them, or it's whatever. You know, and so, but think about that question for a minute. What, what is it that, that makes a great church? What makes it healthy? What makes it great? What makes a church vibrant? What makes a church a church that is for its neighbor? Or a church that is for its city? You see, there are a, a couple of different kinds of churches, I think. I think there are, there are churches that that are in the city. And we, we talked about this before. In fact, we did a whole series on this called For the City a couple of years ago. But, um, but there, there are a couple of different kinds of churches. There are ch uh, churches that are, that are just in the city. They just exist. Like they're just there. They're, they're in the city or in the country. It doesn't matter where they are. They're just a church. They're just there. Not really doing anything. You know, there's people that are coming. And, you know, the philosophy there is R4 and no more. You ever heard that one before? You know what I'm talking about? R4 walls and boy, that's all we care about. That's, that's it. Whatever happens in here, that's it. We don't care what happens out there. It's all about what happens in here. And so there's that kind of church. There's just a church that's, that's in the city. There are churches that are uh, what I would call um, get churches that are against the city. So these are the churches that basically just stand up and shout and scream at everybody and make sure that you know exactly what it is that they're against. You have no idea what they're for, but you know exactly what, what it is that they're against. And they're against you, let me just tell you, okay? So, um, I, I, trust me. And so, like, that's, there's that church, right? Then there's a church, that, a church that I would say is called With the City. And these are churches that are, uh, have been so far into the culture that you can't tell the difference between them and the culture. Like there is no, there is no, uh, there is no gospel, um, there is no gospel uh, light in the church because the church has been so far into the culture. Everything's okay. Everything is okay. Like it, no, nothing, nothing is uh, sinful. Nothing is, you know, it, everything is okay. If you, if it's good for you, then it's good for us. It's okay. And then there are churches that are for the city. These are churches that, in my opinion, these are the churches that are the most healthy, that are the most vibrant, that are the most gospel-centered churches that you can find. Because, and, and, and again, these are churches that are going to be places that, at times, will may struggle. There are going to be places that, that, that may be like one of these other three churches at, at different points in their history. But these are going to be churches that are going to do whatever it takes to make sure... That they are for the city. By for the city, that means that they are doing what the great commandment says. They're doing the best to their flawed and imperfect ability to love the Lord 
their God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. That's a church for the city. And I think those are the churches that are healthy and vibrant. Um, it's, it's a good question to think about. What is it that makes a great church? It's a good question because I don't think anyone has ever said that they want to go to a mediocre church, right? Like nobody has ever said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to go to a mediocre church. That would be cool. <laughs> church that doesn't care about anybody. That'd be awesome. Um, so what is it that makes it vibrant? I don't think, I don't think that what makes a church great is, um, I don't think what makes a church great is preaching. I think you need good preaching, but I don't think it's preaching necessarily alone that makes a church great. Uh, I don't think it's music that necessarily makes a church great. I don't think that it's programs or ministries that necessarily make a church great. I don't think any. I think those things by themselves, if, if, if that's all we have to look at, like if you if you look at a church and you say, "Well, man, everything else there stinks, but the music is awesome," like that's not necessarily a healthy church. That's probably not a good church, right? Or if you say, "Well, the the, the preaching is is great, but but everything else, man, it really really stinks." And that's probably not a very healthy or vibrant church. Or if two or three, like what I'm saying is, is like those things individually by themselves, they don't necessarily make a church great. And let me let me say this, bringing just those things together, great ministries, great programs, great preaching, great music, all of those things, even if you have all of those things, that doesn't necessarily make a church healthy or vibrant. I think the value of a church isn't in any of these things alone. They're important, yes, and we should absolutely do them, but I don't think any of these things make uh, alone a, a church great. Church health, hear me when I say this, church health must be defined by God's criteria and not our own, or otherwise we'll miss the heart of God for his church. So here's why we're talking about this in, in this series and wrapping this up with this today about, about loving the people around us, because when a church is healthy and vibrant, it is a church that is for its city, and it's a church that is for its community, and it is a church that will seek to love its neighbors. Amen. It's vital that a church work to be healthy if we want to be a place that can love others effectively. It's hard, listen, you guys have heard this all the time, hurt people hurt people, right? Mm -hmm. Hurt churches hurt people. Hurt churches hurt people. And so if a church is Hurt if a church, and again, the church, remember, the church is not these walls, it's not this building, it's not this foundation, this slab underneath this. This, ha this is a building, this is an address, that's all this place is. It is an address. It is 157 LaSalle. It is not Ridge Church. What is sitting and living and breathing in the seats right now, that is Ridge Church. That is, that is the church. You and I, together, people, together, we are the church. And so, Three things, really. I just want to look at three ways I think that the Scripture tells us uh, what, a, uh, what a church for its neighbor looks like or, or what it is that makes a church healthy and vibrant according to the Scriptures. And so uh, three things. I'm just going to give you the three things right now. We'll just unpack them. Uh, three things. Number one is this, is that, that when Jesus is first priority in word and action, that will help make a church healthy and vibrant. Number two, a church will be healthy and vibrant before its neighbor when it's on mission. And then number three, we'll unpack the last one, is that when a church is healthy and vibrant, a church is for its neighbor when lives are being transformed. And so in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to pick this up in verse 1, a couple of verses right here. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we'll read through verse 5. It says this, 
It says to the now these are the words of Jesus by the way this is this is him John uh, the the apostle is writing this he's getting this these words this vision from from the Lord and in the first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation they're talking about different churches and this particular church that we're talking about here is a church in Ephesus you've heard of the book of Ephesians right that's a letter that Paul wrote to that church well this is the church that Jesus is talking about here the church in Ephesus. And this is a, a word that he is giving to them specifically. And then you see in the next couple, uh, through chapter 3, you see that the other six churches that uh, Jesus talks to. But church in Ephesus says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And so Jesus is referring to these churches as golden lampstands. Okay, He says, I know your works. Your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. These are all good things. These are great things. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, you guys are doing some great things. Church in Ephesus, there are some Great and wonderful things happening, but listen to what he says, verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. And I don't know about you, but if a God ever says, I got something against you, that's not good. He says this, you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, this is so important. He says, if not, I will come to you. And I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. A church that is healthy and vibrant. A church that is healthy and vibrant, number one, is when Jesus is first in priority in word and in action. When Jesus is the first priority in word and action. You've got to have both. You've got to have both. You can't have one or the other. If, if, if it's just action, then you're just doing social justice. And social, and, and that's, without the gospel, that means nothing. You give somebody a warm blanket, but you do nothing for their eternity. Social justice without the gospel does nothing. It's got to be word and action. Word and action. You can't have one or the other. We talked about this last week when we said that, are we just, uh, are, are, are we just banging people over the head with truth? Or are we saturating truth with grace? Because Jesus said, uh, John chapter 1 says that Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth. He was full of grace and truth. You've got to have both. You can't just have one without the other. Because Jesus was both. It's full of both. And so, a church is healthy and vibrant when Jesus is the first priority in word and action. Every church, every church, I believe, will say that they're all about Jesus. But I can't say, say this enough. You can't just talk about it. You also have to show it. We also have to show it. So the presence of God will be evident in places where Jesus is lifted up in word and in action. In word and in action. Um, what comes to mind when you when you think about um, like if I were if I were to say uh, revival, what comes to mind to you? Think about that for a second. Like to me, I, I know what comes to mind to me because I, I grew up in a small country church um, here in, in the area and. And revival was talked about. That was something that was planned out. It was typically going to be seven days long. You know, yeah, that's right. Seven days long, right? And if it got really good, we might go eight. 
No, no, no. So, uh, seven days long, right? And, and every night, and I don't know if y'all know anything about this or not, but every night would be a different speaker. You know, there'd be somebody new coming in, you know, a different speaker. And for good measure, there would always be a youth night sprinkled in there because you didn't want to tick off the youth pastor, right? So, like, you had to, you had to have the youth night in there, right? And so, like, do that. And then, at, at least, at least on Saturday night, or not Saturday night, but on, on Sunday, like, revival would usually start, you know, on Sunday morning, then it'd go Sunday night, you have Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and then you might get into Saturday night. On the weekends, you'd have the potluck. Now, that's what I'm talking about right there, right? There's nothing more holy than fried chicken. All right. So, like, you just—that's to me. So, to me, when I think about revival, my mind immediately goes back to those days, to those times when we would have quote unquote revival, which I always thought was weird that we planned it. You ever think about that? You ever think about how weird it is when you plan revival? Um, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you plan it. It doesn't matter if you put it on a schedule. It doesn't matter if you advertise it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. But we'll never experience revival if Jesus is not first. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You can put it on the schedule all you want. You can sing all the songs you want. You have the greatest preachers in the world come and preach. But if Jesus isn't made first and foremost, first individually, and then secondly together as a body corporately, it doesn't matter what you put on schedule. Listen to what verse 5 of this says again. It says, it says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. This last part, it says, If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus said, If I'm not the most important thing, then I'm going to remove my presence. Come on, let's be honest. Maybe you've been, I know that I have, I've been in places before where I felt like that Jesus didn't even show up. And I believe, I believe that that is true because Jesus looked down and when we look at like Malachi chapter 2, in Malachi chapter 2, God gives this, uh, this great decree to the priests in Malachi chapter 2 and he's talking about the sacrifices that they're offering. And he's talking about the evil that they're doing with the sacrifices that they're offering. Because basically what the priests were doing is the priests were looking at the sacrificial animals and they were going, that one right there looks really good. I think I'll take that one for myself. I'm going to keep that one. I'm going to move this one over here. And I'm going to give God what is left over. I'm going to give him kind of the, 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 the messed up ones, the ones that aren't so great. I'm going to keep the good ones for myself. And then God comes to them and says, listen, here's, about, here's what's going to happen. I hate what you're doing. In fact, I wish there was somebody among you that would shut the doors to this church because it's junk. That's how mad God was about the fact that he was not being made first and foremost. So Jesus reiterates that here to the church in Ephesus. He says, repent and return and do the works that you did at first, or I will remove my presence from you. As the pastor of a church charged with leading us to love Jesus in in word and in action, this scares me. Let's be honest with you, it scares me. Because if I don't lead well, if we don't, if we don't make Jesus first and foremost, then we stand against what he says to the point where he could say, I will remove my presence from you. 
The church at Ephesus, they, they worked hard. There was nothing against their service. They, they endured hardship. There was, uh, this was a difficult place to minister. They, they had sound doctrine. They understood the gospel, and they hated heretics. They, looked at, uh, they, they knew the gospel so well that they could hear a person come in who was a great teacher, who could lay out you know, something, and they could look at that and go, oh, it's not what this says. Move on. Right? They were good at that. They were good at that stuff. But yet... Jesus wasn't being made first. And so what they didn't do is they didn't love well. They didn't love well. So they were doing lots of good things, but Jesus wasn't a part of it. So again, you can't plan for revival. The only thing that you can do is prepare for it. And the way that we prepare for it is that we make Jesus first and foremost in our hearts and our lives and in our church. Jesus must be the first priority. If we want to love others, he has to be First, it's why Jesus says that the, the first great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says that's number one. If you don't do that, it doesn't matter what you do with the second one. It doesn't matter. If I'm not first and foremost, it doesn't matter if you love people. Love them all you want. But it, it doesn't change anything. But if we love God with all, if we make Him first priority, if we make Him first and foremost, the overflow, this is what we said over the last two weeks, the overflow of that will always be the way that we love others. Will always be the way that we love others. So, number two, a healthy church. A healthy church is, number two, a church that is on mission. A church that is on mission. A church that is on mission means that, that you, me, all of us together are working together to reach our city, those who are far from God, for the gospel. That's what it means to be on mission. So how do we become a church that is on mission? How do we continue to be on mission? When we all live by the truth that we have a short amount of time to make our mark on this world with the Great Commission. I think that's how we live on mission. Is that we realize that time is short, hell is hot, and we got to get going. Right? Time is short, hell is hot, we got to get going. And the Great Commission, the Great Commission is a call to every single one of us. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you call yourself a Christian, the Great Commission is to you. The Great Commission is this, is that we are to go into all of the world, which means the cubicle right next to you as much as it does Cambodia, okay? Into all of the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's what the Great Commission is. Great Commission says that you and I, regardless of what you think your gifting is, regardless of what you think your calling is, regardless of what how good you think you are at, at any of that, does not matter. This is the only. This is the only. Uh, this is the only thing that 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 the time I won't say it's the only thing, but it's one of the one of the things that the Bible says that that regardless of any of those things, that this is something that you as a believer are called to do. Regardless, is to make disciples. Regardless. And so it means that you and I are sent as missionaries. You, you, you ever think about that for yourself? Like, the, you ever think about yourself as a missionary? Like, you know, I know that we've not had any cake sales or bake sales here for you to support you to fly across the world or anything, but you're a missionary. You're a missionary. I'm a missionary. You are a missionary. You're a missionary where you work. You're a missionary in your neighborhood. You're a missionary in your own home. You are a missionary in your school. You are a missionary. <coughs> because you've been sent. That's what missionary means. It means sent. And so you and I, we have been sent. 
and a church is healthy and vibrant when the people inside of the church realize that they themselves, that we, each other, we are missionaries. Jesus gives us a job to do, and none of us are exempt from that. Um, in a few weeks, I will turn 39 years old. I know I look 20, stop it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, so, in a few weeks, I'll turn 39, and... Uh, which means, I've, I've, thought, I've thought a lot about this, maybe too much actually, which means I'm, I'm, kind, of already, I'm kind of already you know, moving past my, my 30s and already thinking about my 40s, which means because in, in a little over a year, I'll turn 40, right? And so um, I, can't, I, can't say, I can't say what's in the future exactly, but, but at best, I figure I have, hopefully, by the grace of God only, that I have maybe 20, maybe 30 at best, years of doing this. And hopefully it's, it's right here with us together. Um, but at best, if I have 20 to 30 years, then I have to give this mission to everything that I've got. I gotta get, I, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, I'd love some company. It'd be cool. I want to do it myself. You guys want to go? Yeah. Woo, cool. All right. Um, there's this uh, there's this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He is a uh, I love Charles Spurgeon. He's he's probably one of the uh, one of the old dead guys that I love to read a lot. And uh, he is this amazing. If you don't know about Charles Spurgeon, amazing pastor, amazing preacher, uh, just incredibly smart. Um, uh, they call him the Prince of Preachers. I mean, just an incredible guy. In fact, uh, he had uh, Charles Spurgeon had this preaching school. And in his preaching school, like I wouldn't even make it in his preaching school because you had to have a broad chest to be in his preaching school. And so because the way that uh, they didn't have any microphones, you know, back in the 1800s. And uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, started and pastored a church called the London Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And this church grew to be like thousands upon thousands. So literally they would cram in about 5,000 plus people in one service. And no microphones, and so, I mean, the guy, you had to have, you know, a broad chest to be able to get in all of that air, to be able to, you know, expel all of that, you know, sound in, into 5,000 people uh, to preach. And so, uh, Charles Spurgeon, though, uh, he, um, he, he just has written so, so much. I just recently read, uh, read this great book on, on his life not too long ago that was uh, phenomenal. But um, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. Uh, this was written about him and, and this quote. It says, the year that he turned 40, he delivered a message to his pastor's conference with, one, with a one-word title. And the title was this. It was forward, exclamation point, forward. In it, he said, this is his quote. He says, in every minister's life, there should be traces of stern labor. Brethren, do something. Do something. Do something. While committees waste their time over resolutions, do something. While societies and unions are making constitutions, let us win souls. Too often we discuss and discuss and discuss while Satan only laughs in his sleeve. Get to work and quit yourselves like men. It's good. Do something. So a healthy church, a vibrant church, a place that is for its neighbor will be a church that is on mission. And last but not least, a healthy, vibrant church, a church that is for its neighbor will uh, see 
or, or, or quit themselves like men to see lives are being transformed. More like women, let's be politically correct. Um, we'll, we'll see lives transformed. A church will see lives transformed. So if lives are being transformed, then we know that we are doing, we are doing our job to love others, and we are becoming a church that is for the city. Um, Stories of, stories of life change are, are so important, like stories of, of your stories, our stories, stories of, of people's lives being changed and, and just flipped inside out for the gospel. They're, they're so important. Um, and I love telling stories here. Um, I, I love talking about what God is doing in your lives. In fact, uh, every month, I get to get, twice a month actually, I get together with two different groups of, of other pastors from across our city and across our area. Um, and... You know what we don't talk about? We don't talk about preaching. We don't talk about worship. We don't talk about lights and sound and buildings and stuff like that. You know what we talk about? We talk about you. We talk about you. That's all right. I talk about you behind your back. But I'm telling you now, so it's okay. Um, we talk about you. And I get to tell them. I get to tell them about... All the stories. I get to tell them about how, you know, a few months ago, back uh, Labor Day, or not Labor Day, Memorial Day weekend, when we baptized 14 people, and I get to tell them those stories of 14 different individuals who were baptized just a few months ago, right? I get to tell them stories uh, about uh, a man back there, John Miller, back there. John Miller, he's back there running sound for us right now. John Miller, uh, eight, nine, ten months ago, came in here as an atheist. John Miller is a follower of Christ, got baptized here. Sorry. <laughs> I get to tell them stories about um, I don't know how this works or how this happens or, or what it is about this, but but you know what God says, love the widows and the widowers, and we, you know what we got we have a ton of them here. We have a ton of them here. Women who have lost their husbands unexpectedly, men who have lost their wives unexpectedly. And when I say a ton, I mean like eight, nine, ten, maybe, maybe more here in, in this church. And I can tell them those stories. In fact, I want to read you a story um, about one in particular. Um, let, me, let me read you this. This is from Jessica Duncan. She's one of our Rich Kid volunteers who uh, lost her husband uh, last year, about this time last year, actually, not too long ago. Um, let me read you what she wrote. She wrote this. Uh, it was mainly talking about uh, why she loves our rich kids ministry for her daughter. But let me just read you what it says. Just a couple of paragraphs. It says this. It says, my daughter, Avery, who is age four at the time. This was last year. or No, earlier this year. A couple months ago. Uh, my daughter, Avery, and I love rich kids. At only four years old, she has had to deal with so much change and craziness in her life that I thought it would be impossible for me to help her cope. She lost her daddy eight months ago, who rocked both of our worlds. I had to explain to her every day that her daddy would not be coming home. At only four years old, you can imagine, she could not understand. I tried reading her books about heaven, but she never uh, even heard of heaven before. I beat myself up because I hadn't even told her about Jesus. As soon as I was able to get the energy to make it out of the house, we went to the, to the ridge one Sunday and have been there ever since. Avery came out of her first class in love with her teacher and telling me all about Jesus. It was very hard for me to talk to her about God because honestly, I was still a little mad at her. But I didn't want her to be I didn't want her to be mad at her. The teachers there have helped me break the ice in talking to Avery about Jesus. 
She's learning so much, and she is learning in a way that she can understand. She is putting the pieces together in her own time and in a way that she can understand. She now knows that God loves her and loves her daddy. She knows that her daddy is in heaven with Jesus and that heaven is an amazing place. The excitement that the teachers at the Ridge have towards teaching the kids about Jesus make Avery excited to tell me and everyone we know about Jesus. This excitement and childlike view of the world has also helped me cope. The simple lessons that Avery is learning at Ridge Kids are good reminders for me as well. I am so thankful for Ridge Kids and the love and support they have shown us. It's good, right? You see, if we ever if we ever lose sight of these things, making Jesus' first priority of word and action, if we ever lose sight of being on mission together, if we ever lose sight of seeking to see lives transformed, if we lose sight of these things, we will have failed as a church and will be like the church in Ephesus when Jesus says, remember where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. See, some days, church, I think that we do pretty good at most of these, and yet there are others that I think we start to head off in the wrong direction. There, there is always room for improvement because we are far from perfect. So Jesus says, repent. And so the bottom line is this, is that, that we, you and me and each other, we are the church. And if you and I are not working toward these things together, then we are not accomplishing these things together. So as we close today, as we, as we sing, as we take communion together, let's, let's do just that. Let's repent. Repent means to, to turn in a direction. It means to, to turn away from and, and to turn to. What's, what's the word repentance means? And so essentially for us, what we're saying is we're going to, we're going to turn from our sin. We're going to turn from our uh, places of, of maybe inaction. We're going to turn from our places of, of uh, fear. We're going to turn from our sin. We're going to turn to Jesus. That's what the word repent means. We're going to repent of maybe not making Jesus first priority, whether it be in your own personal lives or in the pursuit of, of a perfect church. We're going to repent of not engaging in mission. We're going to repent of wanting personal convenience over seeing lives transformed. Maybe repentance. Repentance, understand, is what helps repair the vertical. You see, our relationship with Jesus is both vertical and horizontal. Right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the vertical. And the horizontal is that we're going to love others. So repentance is what repairs the vertical. And when the vertical is repaired, the horizontal pushes out. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we come to you with, with hearts of repentance, God. God, we hear, we hear your words that say to, to remember where we have fallen. God, to, uh, to remember where we have been, God, and, and to repent and, and to do the works that we did at first, God. And, the, and the, the one work that we have to get right, God, is that we love you first and foremost. That our hearts are given to you. God, that, that, we, that we lay aside fears, God, that we, uh, that we lay temptations at, at your feet. God, we lay sin at your feet. God, we lay our, our imperfectness at your feet. We lay our flaws at your feet. 
God, we lay our, maybe even at times our, our inaction at your feet, God. We lay those things at your feet, God. God, we turn from those things and we turn to you. God, we repent and forgive us. God, forgive us. Forgive me. God, just, just forgive me. God, forgive me of my times of inaction and, and God, times when I've turned from you. Moments of of temptation or, or anger or whatever it may be, God. God, help us together as a church. God, help us see how important it is, God, to be a church that is for this city, that is for this community, that is for this neighborhood. God, that is for the places that, that you have placed us on purpose, God. God, there are none of us here that are not where we live, work, and play, God. We are not in those places by accident, God. God, you have placed us there on purpose. God, so remind us of our purpose. It's in your name we pray. Would you stand to your feet as we sing, as we respond? Just encourage you to continue to pray. Maybe continue to just take time to, uh, to pray through those things. And then when you're ready, at your convenience, we just invite you to come and, and take the AJ is right over here. He's one of our prayer partners this morning. And if you just want somebody to pray with you or talk with you about something, I know that you would love to do that. Let's sing and continue worship together. Mm-hmm.